This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. If you have your Bible, I want to talk to you for a few minutes from John chapter 11. We believe in the Bible at Nova Church. This is not a stand-up comedy act, though sometimes I am funny. This is not just information. This is not a TED Talk. We honestly believe that there's truth in the Word of God, that this is the book that changes you, that if you live according to this book, it's not old-fashioned, but it is precious. And when you live your life according to this book, I believe your health is better, your life is better. Uh, The Jesus of this book has changed my life. Everything I have in my life, everything that is good in my life, everything I've been rescued from is because of this book and the author of this book. And we believe in the Bible, and we celebrate the Bible at Nova Church. And if you have a Bible, bring it to church. If you don't, awesome. You'll see it on the big screen behind me But today. But we want to unpack, like we do every Sunday, God's Word and what it says about our life, what it says about our families, what it says about our passions and our goals, because we believe this book is relevant for your Monday, not just your Sunday. I'll wait for you today. I'm going to decide where's my favorite section today. You guys are little, but you're mighty. I'm believing in you. Okay, you just made me nervous, but I'm going with it. All right. Remind me of testimony services. Okay, remember those things? I love that. John chapter 11, I want to encourage you for a few minutes this morning. You'll see on the screen behind me. You're going to start reading in verse 1 of John chapter 11. It says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped him with her hair. Again, generosity and sacrifice are partners in the miracle of God's supply. Her brother Lazarus was sick. Now we read that like it's a text, but you understand the emotion once you have a relationship with somebody. The author here wants to make sure they point out this is not just a stranger that's sick. This is, this is someone who loves Jesus. She sacrificed. She's been generous. And now she has a loved one, a brother who is sick. Her brother who she loves is sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. We jump over to verse 17. Next page. Says Jesus arrived at Bethany. He he got the message from Mary and Martha and he didn't come. He he didn't come in time and it says that Lazarus had died at this point. He was sick and really sick. And Jesus was doing something else and he didn't change his plans and then when he finally did come We pick it up here in verse 17. It said, when Jesus finally did arrive in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, and I think it should be said more like Jesus was finally coming. You ever send someone a text message that you think is important? I'll send my kids text messages and and when it's really important, I'll send the message, and then I'll just keep sending periods until they look at it, you know? Like, my wife doesn't know how to send one long text message at the grocery store. She sends 30 of them. So, and you know what I'm talking Like, sometimes when it's important, you're like, you emphasize it. What really this should be written is, when Martha got word that Jesus was finally coming, she went to meet him. She thought, you know what, he's coming. I'm, he, he's just so slow, I'm going to go run out and meet him where he is. But Mary stayed in the house. She was disappointed. Sometimes you can get disappointed with God. It's okay. He can handle your disappointment. 
Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that you are God. I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise at the end of time. Like he'll, he'll rise like everyone else does is on the last day. I believe in eternity. Yeah, he'll rise then. He says, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life, verse 25. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She said, yes, Lord. She told him, I always believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's come into the world. Then she returned to Mary. She called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and he wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Verse 32. This is the turning point in the story. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell down at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and he saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. If you have a Bible that you can underline, you need to underline that, that, that word anger. Another verse in, in Scripture says, he was angry but sinned not. Anger is not a sin. There's something for me to get angry about. It says an anger welled up within him. And he was deeply troubled. Verse 34, where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Jesus, come and see. And then verse 35, the shortest scripture in all the Bible, it says, then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry. I think he was tapped into his feminine side there. <laughs> I'm going to keep moving. Okay. He was still angry. <clears throat> Some of you ladies are angry about that. <clears throat> I'm waiting for you today. Daylight savings. I'm just going to wait for you. As he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. He rolled the stone. He said, roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested and said, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell would be terrible, like a junior high boy's room. I added that part, verse 40. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? Now Jesus stirred up. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I say it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so they will believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus! Come out. And the dead man came out. You know, some scholars say that Jesus had to say his name because if he had just said come out, every dead body within his voice would have came out. He specifically said Lazarus because there's so much power in the word of God. He said, Lazarus. No, no, no one else. It's not your time. Lazarus, it's your time. Come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His feet wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him. And let him go. Unwrap him and let him go. This morning for the next 25 minutes, allot it to me. I want to challenge you on this thought that I believe is a core value of our church. I believe it's a core DNA of our faith. No matter if you're a guest today or this is your church, whether you've been coming for a few weeks or a few months or whatever that looks like, I believe that there is truth in this passage that should form our faith and be foundational not only in our church, but in our lives today, if you're taking notes, write down this title somewhere, Mundane Miracles. Mundane Miracles. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you that you always hear us and that you are here doing miracles even now. 
God, I thank you for those listening on the podcast. I thank you for those that, that are here today. We thank you for our kids' ministry right now that are just loving and teaching our kids. We thank you for the worship team and their generosity with their talents and sacrifice with their gifts. But God, we're asking right now that your word would come alive to us. God, would you do what only you can do, which is speak to us, encourage us. I'm praying hope would fill our hearts today. I'm praying purpose would fill our hearts today. I pray we'd be intentional with our lives and that, God, you would step in in this moment. And God, we also pray that spring would come soon. And if we need to sacrifice a groundhog, I will do it. In Jesus' name, everybody said, if you're offended by that, I'm kidding. It's fine. Not really. Okay. Do you, do you keep up with current slang? At what age do you stop caring what's cool? I don't know what that age is. Do you keep up with slang? I don't know if you're a grandparent here. Maybe you're around your grandkids. I don't know if you, in pop culture, I don't know if you, have you been that yet? Have you, have you got to that age yet where you hear something somewhere and you don't ask what it is, but you Google it? You go to the Urban Dictionary. Am I the only one that does that? So I can be relevant and cool, or I'll ask my teenage son, I'm like, what does that mean? And if he blushes, I know it's not a good thing. Or he'll tell me, my kids use this word now a lot. They use the word triggered. And I've shared this before, but they use this word triggered, and, and they're always like, hey, I'm like, what does that mean, triggered? That's not like, like, oh, I'm so triggered. My daughter uses it a lot. She, oh, I'm so triggered. How was, how was school today? What was the best part? What was the most challenging part? Oh, I'm so triggered. I'm like, what does that mean? And it, from what I can tell, the best definition is that really sets me off. That really gets me going. That bothers me. That's the one thing. And triggered, you know, there's one word that triggers me in our home. It's the word bored. We don't let our kids say the word, we're bored. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? That's like, like you want to get me triggered is my kids will say, I'm bored. They, don't, they know not to say it. They'll find other ways to say it. Like, what are we doing today? Can we go visit our friends? But they know there's like, bored is a curse word in our home. I'm bored. Because why? Am I because I'm this amazing parent? No, because I remember what life was like before we had nice things. Do you remember before the internet? Like, like we didn't have stuff. They have FaceTime and they have Xboxes and, we had TV. Remember when we had TV? Come on, where are my people? It had three channels. And the only thing that was ever on those channels was hockey, the news, Knowlton Nash, come on, somebody, and hee-haw. I don't care what time of day. And this was the best part. Everybody had a TV at some point that the knob broke off. You had to use pliers to change the channel. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but the rest of us, you know why we can't say today that we're bored. I remember you used to remember the pliers. Like, do I want to go hockey, hee-haw, or Knowlton Nash, you know? Hee-haw, uh, Knowlton Nash, or hockey. And if you went past the channel you wanted, right, the rest were all snowy, you couldn't go back. You had to go around again. Remember that? Click, 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 click. Ah, oh, I miss Knowlton Nash. Click, 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 click. And then you go, maybe there's one more channel. You forgot there's only three channels. That's why I say to our kids, you can't be bored. We had sticks to play with. A stick was a gun, was a sword. We, had a lot, we didn't have things. We didn't have nice things. It's funny because we had this thing that we can't be bored. I realized not only in my kids' life, in my life, there's this pressure to live an exciting life and to put it out there for people to see. It, when I was growing up, there was this saying, we're competing with the, 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 the neighbors, we're competing with the Jones, we're competing with the Smiths. And it was usually your car you drove or how good your lawn was. But now it's gone global. Our generation grows up and they're competing with the highlights of their day and to post it online for everyone to see. And it's not just kids, 50, 60 year olds, 40 year olds. There's this whole highlight, there's this pressure not to live a boring life. 
I'll talk to people once in a while I haven't seen for a while. I'll be on a trip. I'm like, hey, you haven't posted on Instagram in a while, man. What's going on with your life? I, you need to post more. I need to see those kids. They're growing up so fast. I'm like, man, I live a boring life. No one wants to see my life on Instagram. I'm like, it's not about your life being boring. It's about sharing what you do. I want to see your kids, but there's this pressure, isn't there? To put the highlights of your life. Like, the coffee's got to be just right. And if it looks that good, you got to take a picture of it. There's that pressure that, to show the highlights of your day, the best sunrise and the best sunset. The, if you got new sneakers or you washed your car or if your lawn's coming in nice or you're having a nice meal or if you thought of something funny, but there's this pressure to only show the highlights of our life. It's amazing to me as I, as I read scripture here that we don't celebrate the regular, do we? We don't celebrate the routine. We don't celebrate the mundane. But here's what I've realized in Scripture and in life, that God uses the mundane to bring miracles to our city. We resist the mundane. We don't want anything to be born. Like, man, I got to spice it up. I got to do something for my life to be, what are we doing this week? I got to do something. But somewhere we resist the mundane. But as I study Scripture, as I look at the way God works, God actually embraces routine. He embraces the ordinary. He embraces the boring and the mundane, and that's where he best does his miracles. I, I think it's because if it was spectacular on our end, God wouldn't get the glory or the praise. People say, well, that church is amazing. Here's how you know you have an amazing church. People say, that God is amazing. Here's how you know God likes using ordinary people because it always goes back to him going, I don't know how they pulled that off. They're not smart enough. They're not good enough. They're not rich enough. What's going on over there? God's doing something in that church. God's doing something in that marriage. God's doing something in that person's life. Why? Because they're not smart enough. They don't have enough willpower. Something's going on there. I think that's why God uses ordinary people. If you've heard about Nova, if you're a part of Nova, you quickly learn when you pull back the curtain, we are very ordinary, we are very boring, we are very mundane, but God is doing miracles in our midst. Why? Because God likes mundane miracles. John chapter 11 is a snapshot of Jesus' passions, his mission, and our part in it. And I want to unpack this today in the next few minutes to encourage you as you get ready to go into your Monday with one less hour of sleep, as you get ready to go back into your routine, which isn't always Instagram worthy or Facebook ready, that God wants to, us to embrace the routine so we can step in and show off and do something in your life. John chapter 11, a miracle was needed. Lazarus had died. Reviving was needed. Here's how you know you need a miracle. Doctors can't fix it. Bankers can't fix it. Teachers can't fix it. Your pastor can't fix it. Nobody can fix this. Jesus needed to intervene. My friends, I want to encourage you today, remind you that we need a miracle in our country. We need a miracle in our churches, in our city, in our families. And here, we believe in miracles. You need to know, we believe, in, I've seen people get healed. I've seen lives turn around. I've seen marriages saved. I've seen God do it. We believe in miracles. And in the story like today, a miracle is needed in our lives. If you need a miracle, you're in the right place because God steps in. Verse 33 says it this way. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people waiting, wailing with her, a deep anger welled within him and he was deeply troubled. Those words deeply troubled actually means Jesus groaned so deep, like a, in his spirit, that wasn't like, oh, this bothers me. You ever been so bothered by something you could feel it? Yeah. Just inside, like, oh. You ever heard news that made you grieve that all you could do is, 
moan? You ever get so much into a situation that's so troublesome that it felt like your body groaned? That's what that's saying there. Jesus was so, uh, so in touch with this situation. He was grieving so much. It says that he groaned in his spirit. Listen, if Jesus gets bothered by something, we should get bothered by something. You need to know this today. As the church of Jesus Christ, as the church, we should get bothered by the state of our city, our families, and our country. My friend, our city needs God to step in. Sex trafficking. Halifax is growing in sex trafficking. If, if you don't know this is a problem, it's a problem in our city. We just made a sizable donation as a church on behalf of you to an organization that helps sex trafficking in our city this week. Why? Because it's a problem. And it bothers us. It should bother us. Racism is alive in our city. If you don't think racism is a problem, you've probably never been a minority. You want to know if racism is alive? Ask someone who's a minority. It's alive in our city, and we need to have it bother us. I hear stories. I see things. I, I'm sitting going, God, we have so far to go. It bothers us. Our city is in need today. Hopelessness is a disease that's being pushed on every corner, in every school. Hopelessness is flooding our schools and our homes. Listen, we believe that we need reviving and a miracle. It has to bother somebody. How many more people do we need to lose? How many more statuses of another young man, another young woman who we've lost? How many more people? The hopelessness needs to bother us. That's why I refuse to be a thermometer going, that's oh, a tough time. Kids are having a tough time. No! I will smile, I will shake hands, I will floss if I have to. Why? I believe we can change every high school in this city. I believe we can change every restaurant. You don't know who you're walking in on at Starbucks who needs some hope today. I don't apologize for my passion because it's bothering us and it bothers you. I know it does. Jesus was greatly bothered and I believe we need to get bothered. In verse 34, he says this, where have you laid him? He said it with anger in his voice. Where, he wasn't angry at people. You know what he was angry at? He was angry at the power that death still had. He knew he was on a collision course with a battle with, with hell and the grave and death. Easter, we celebrate that, him winning that battle. But he was angry going, again death? You took another one? And there's an anger at death. He was angry. He says in verse 35, Jesus wept. It's the shortest passage in all of Scripture. But there is so much power in that verse. Jesus wept. Here's what I need you to know today. If you're new, or if you grew up in this, don't you dare think God is some emotionless list checker. Don't think he's some robot up there stamping approved or disapproved on lives and on prayer requests. He is cheering. He is grieving. He is fighting for us. He is not distant. He is not disconnected. And he is not distracted. It says Jesus wept. You need to know he's actively involved in your journey today. What makes you cry, he cries about. What you celebrate, he celebrates. I believe he parties with us and he grieves with us. Jesus is actively, emotionally invested in my life, in your life. Somewhere we want religion to be this, this list of to-dos and rights and wrongs. And we make it as simple as if you do these 10 things, you're good. And if you do these 10 things, you're, it's bigger than that. He's actively involved in your life. He's you need to change what you, how you see Jesus. He's emotional. When you grieve, he grieves. And I believe he parties when we party. When people come to know him as Savior, when people have hope in their life, I believe heaven is on fire with a party. 
And when, when we lose people in our city, when people walk away from marriages, when teenagers struggle, I believe there's a grief in Jesus' heart. You need to know today he's an emotional God and he is so invested and so connected. In verse 38 and 39, Jesus comes up on this situation with this man he loved. He's grieving, he's angry, he's invested. And he yells out to the people. He says, hey, roll the stone. I think this is a fascinating detail in this passage. We, we, the, for, for the many years I read over this passage thinking, okay, just roll the stone. And then I started thinking about why is that detail in there? You ever meet somebody who uses too many details when they tell a story? I don't want to say names, <clears throat> Dad, but listen up. Um, you ever meet somebody, they're like, hey, I got a story for you. Like, it was Tuesday. No, I'm lying to you. It was Wednesday. It was 9, 9, 9 10 a.m. The wind was blowing from the north-south, from the, from the southwest, and it was cold that day. The sea was angry, like an old man in a deli, and he starts telling these, 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 these start, starts going off on these details, and I was driving this car, and people start telling you stories with extra details. You're like, oh, are you going somewhere with this? You ever meet somebody with extra details? It's like, like okay, okay, this story's going to be a while. This is going to be a mini-series, okay? All right, can we just get to the details? The worst is when you hear it the second time, you know what's coming. The details, the third time, you just jump to the end. I know what happened, right? Like there was, right, okay. I thought this was just extra detail. Here's what I've realized in Scripture. God just doesn't throw in extra details. There's truth in this book for our lives. Here's the question. Why did Jesus get people to roll the stone? A heavy stone, in that day they would have hauled out, they would have carved out a cave and they would have a huge boulder in front to keep animals from getting in there to the bodies or looters because if they buried them with nice clothes and maybe some belongings and obviously the smell, and they put this huge rock and they'd push it five to six men in front of this cave, in front of this grave. A heavy stone takes no skill. It's simply all you need to be involved in moving a stone is the ability to push, to sweat, and to endure the smell of death. Because if you're moving that stone, at some point, there's going to be a, the air rushing in from outside. It's going to fill that cave and then rush back out. And at that moment, whatever is in there, you're going to smell, whether it be life or death. So to push a stone, you need to be able to push something, be able to sweat a little bit, be able to do some grunt work and endure the smell of death. That's all that's needed. It wasn't the smartest people, the most educated people. They were usually laborers that were doing the graveyard shift. And Jesus, in the middle of this story, calls for them to roll the stone. Why? Listen, my mind goes, listen, if you're going to raise the dead, you think you could roll that stone, right? Like he's going to, in a little while, he's going to actually have to roll his own stone when he gets raised himself from the dead. And if he can't raise this man's stone, roll this man's stone, how's he going to roll his own? This is the God that walked on water. He's the God that uh, came from heaven. He's the God that raises the dead and heals the blood. You don't think he could move a little bit of granite. He couldn't move a little bit of rock. He couldn't move a little bit of limestone. And just, if he could raise, the miracle is raising the dead. You think he would start with, and the stone move, a little Jedi. You know what I'm saying? Like a little, little Yoda. Like, okay, step back, step back. I'm going to do my thing. I just got here. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be signing later. Follow me on Instagram. Watch this, watch this. Watch me whip, watch me, hey, 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 watch this. And all of a sudden, just kind of, whoo, and there goes the stone. How many know you would get my attention at that point? Go, oh, Mick Jagger, there's a rolling stone right there, you know? Stay with me, okay. Why did Jesus, listen, he's about to raise the dead. Why did he ask people to move the stone? I think there's this truth in Scripture, and if we 
understand this, here's the truth, that God is always and will always look for people to partner with him. There is something about partnering that gives you value and investment. There's something, I, I'm convinced that when they roll the stone and he raised the dead, the guys that rolled the stone go, look what we did. I'm convinced there was this celebration. Look, that was cool. That's right. We were there. We were with him. Tag us in this video. We were there. Tag us on Facebook, on Instagram. When you take the picture, we were, why? Look what we did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. We, we can't spell. We can't, we can't write. We can't do math. We, we can't do a lot of things, but we can push heavy things and we can endure bad smells. But look what we did. It's amazing how God's always looking for partners. Here's the truth today. If you're looking for something to take with you, this is the thought today, is that many times God intervenes. He'll ask us to do the mundane before he does the divine. I've seen this in my life. That before God does the divine, he asks us to commit to the mundane. The miracle is in the mundane, not the divine. A miracle is something that shouldn't happen. Like, like Montreal winning the cup again. That's a miracle. Shouldn't happen. A miracle is something going, I didn't see that coming. A miracle is, that's unbelievable. Didn't expect that. In this moment, at this time. Can I encourage you? God healing people and raising from the dead is not a miracle. That's called every day for him. That's not unexpected. God is God. At this point, it wasn't a crazy miracle for Jesus to raise someone from the dead. It's like, that's what he does. The miracle was not in the raising of the dead. The miracle was in the rolling of the stone. Because these guys put that body in there. That was their job. Hey, I need someone to roll this stone. No, no, did you understand? It's been four days. You know how bad he's going to smell? Do you understand he's not the only one in there? There's other people in there that have been in there for a while. We already endured the smell once. Like, like honestly, I, I got this back problem. I didn't, I didn't bring my brace today. I'm not really, I, would, I didn't expect this. So I, I just think, you know what? Like, this, this, there's nothing to see here. Move along. To get some men to believe him at his word to go, what'd you say? Move the stone? He didn't tell them what he was going to do. He said, I need you to move the stone. What do you mean? Are we getting paid extra for this? Like, is there, is there overtime for this? Uh, do you have approval to do this? Can we get our manager on site? Are you allowed to do this? I don't know if I'm ready. It's hot right now. This is our break time. We don't work on this time. It's daylight savings. It's a little early for doing some pushing and some grunting and some sweating. The miracle wasn't in the raising. The miracle was in the rolling. He says, roll the stone. And these men started pushing and grunting, knowing what's about to happen, this smell. I want to encourage you today as a church, as a father, as a mother, as a parent, as a husband and a wife, many times the miracle we're looking for is found in the mundane of routine. This isn't a sexy word today, but here's what I've realized is that the miracle is in the mundane. Somehow we've believed this lie that success and fame are the same thing. It's not. Success is showing up every day. My parents showed me success. Success is showing up. Not showing off. And somewhere there's a miracle here in the mundane. When we show up, commit to the mundane, when there's no fame, no applause, no spotlight, just be faithful, a miracle happens. Listen, if we will roll the stone, he will raise the dead in our city. Sometimes we miss the divine because we reject the mundane. That's too ordinary. That's too much work. That's it's too tedious. That's too consistent. I think we've robbed the generation of this, but I believe in our, in our faith, there's somewhere we got to understand that if we commit to the ordinary, he will do the extraordinary. Miracles happen if we commit to the mundane. 
I don't get time to unpack it today, but in Mark chapter 6, there's this famous story where Jesus just taught a whole bunch of people, at least 10,000, some say 15 with kids and, and women. There's, there's 5,000 men, but there's kids and women there. At the end of the day, they're hungry. And the disciples come to him and say, great word, great message, loved it. I'll podcast it later. It was definitely a highlight message. Just a thought, just a thought. People are starving. There's no takeout, there's no delivery, there's no Uber Eats. Can you do something? Jesus is like, you do something. They go and they steal a kid's lunch. They bullied him. Why are you bullying me? And they bullied him. They took this, they come back with his fish and chips and they're like, ta-da, and they bring him the, you, you know the story. Jesus sees it and goes, nice try, but I'm going to help you now. And he takes it and he multiplies it. He goes, you hand it out. He didn't say, he didn't make the fish and the loaves fly to people, which he could have done. He, now you hand it out. You know how tedious it is? You want to find a tedious job? Do retail or do food service. I worked at Subway. My God, sandwich artist. I had bitter problems. Come on. I can't, still can't stand the color yellow to this day, right? But, but food service, they're handing this food out. People get fed. There's 12 baskets left over. Here's the question in the story. Who did the miracle in the story? Some would say Jesus because he multiplied the loaves and the fish. I don't think so. Some would say it's, it's actually, it's actually the, the, the disciples. They went and stole the lunch. They came. I don't think so. I read this story differently now. Do you know who did the miracle in this story? The mom and dad that made the lunch. Odds are the mother made the bread, and making bread wasn't like putting it in the microwave today or buying it from Avery's or Superstore or, or Vandal Donuts or wherever you get your bread or your baked goods. It was a tedious process to grind up wheat. To go, it was days worth of work and heat to cook that thing, to, to provide a loaf of bread. The, the father was a fisherman. My grandfather was a fisherman in Newfoundland his whole life. His hands were cut and raw. And it, it's a tough life. And that father, before the sun came up, was out fishing and cleaning nets and fixing nets and, and, and on high seas and calm seas with lots of fish and no fish and bringing it home to the family. And this boy shows up with loaves and fish that only got there because of the mundane uh, uh, consistency of a mom and dad that said, we're going to work it to provide for our kid. And the kid showed up with a packed lunch. I look at it differently now. The miracle wasn't in the multiplying. The miracle was in the mundane of fishing and making bread. My parents, my mom modeled this in our life. She should be called Mundane Miller. She's on the front door when you walk in here. She's the, the pretty one. Nana, her eyes shine, and she'll hug you, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Some of you don't like her hugs. Get over it. She ain't changing. My mother prayed for me every day. She prayed for the door open, too, so I could hear her prayers. You want to mess a kid up? Pray for them to God out loud. She prayed against every girl I dated <laughs> by name, and then she changed her name to Delilah. Whore of Babylon. There was a lot of names she used, but she, she prayed the door open. She prayed. I remember walking by her room and she praying, my sons will serve God. She prayed. She prayed they won't rebel. They won't get hooked on drugs. They will marry the right. She prayed. Why? Every day. Why? Because she understood the power of mundane consistency in prayer. My mother would always be in the same place when I came home from school, in the kitchen doing nothing, just waiting for me to come home. She said, how was your day? I said, it was fine. You want to talk about it? Nope, I didn't. But she knew if she stood there long enough, looking busy enough, eventually I would give in and say, you know, there's this thing I'm dealing with or thinking about. 
And she realized if she just stayed around long enough, eventually, Nancy's learned this. How was your day? I don't want to talk about it. How was that meeting? I don't want to talk about it. But she knows if she sits there long enough, eventually I'll be like, you know what frustrates me? You know, I don't understand. And my wife, my, my, my mom realized the, the consistency of just being around. So my mom, I'd see her take a little tithing envelope from church growing up when I was a kid. Put 20 bucks in. I didn't know until years later when I became a youth pastor. She was, do you know I used to put 20 bucks in the offering plate every paycheck for the youth ministry, even when you were kids? I said, really? She was, yeah. I figured if I did it then, it was guaranteeing that it would be around when I needed it. She said, I'll be consistent with my money when you're a kid because I need a good youth ministry because teenage years are tough years and I believe in the youth ministry and I want to put it in now so it's there when we need it. I don't need it right now. I need the kids' ministry, but I'm building it now so it'll be ready for you and your brother. The miracle of the mundane. The mundane led to miracles in my life. What you see today is a product of mundane, mundane miracles. The stone represented barriers. There are barriers stopping people from coming to God. Did you know that? There are barriers. So many barriers right now. People are afraid to come to church. People feel like they're going to be judged when they come to church. There are people that can't get to church. Just had someone message me. I live in Dartmouth. I, need to, I, I wish I could come to church. I don't have a ride to church. There are a lot of stones blocking people from, uh, from hearing the voice of God. And our job as a church is to move the barriers. That's all we're here to do is move stones. Mundane. We're not the smartest. We lift a lot of stuff and we can stand the smell of death because they don't smell like us. They smell like regret and pain. They smell like addictions and confusion in all areas of their life. It reminds me of Nova. I have some pictures here of mundane miracles. When I look at this picture, I don't see the divine. I see the mundane. I don't see the extraordinary. I see the ordinary. See, I, I love these beautiful kids, but I see the teachers behind them that don't get to come in here for worship or the message. They're there early and they're there late, and they commit to the mundane so that we can see the divine happen in our kids' lives. That's mundane miracles. I see Phil, our bass player, one of the smartest men in the room, but you know what's not above him? Lifting. He has shorts on in this picture. I know it because he always wears shorts. He has kilt legs. Not cute legs, kilt legs. There's a difference. I see Rob Sr., he looks confused at this point <laughs> because the flags and the pegs and the poles are never where they were when he left them. He has to spend half the morning trying to find the poles to go with that flag and then figure out how to pound them into the frozen ground outside. Why? That someone driving by might see a flag and go, it's been a rough week. I don't know, but I know that there might be something over there. We have people in this church today that are here because they saw a flag and a sign. Rob Sr., because you did the mundane, God does the divine. Look at my son with this elderly woman walking into church. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's my sister, my elderly sister. No, that's not just some woman. I remember this rainy day. I'm thinking, it's the mundane that leads to the divine. If we commit to the mundane, he'll do the divine. If we roll the stone, he'll raise the dead. He called Lazarus. My friend, I want to encourage you to say, Jesus is still calling people's names. He's calling them, and they're coming. 
We've seen over 200 people give their lives to Jesus since we started this church, and there's more, thousands more to come. They're coming, and when they come in, he's going to ask us to unroll the bandages. It's amazing. He said, you roll the stone, I'll raise the dead. And then he goes on and says, now you go and loosen them because they're coming and they're bound. They're walking in here bound up in their issues. They may drive nice cars and look nice, but they're bound up with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. They're, banged, they're, 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 they're wrapped up in insecurity and financial debt. They're wrapped up in confusion. They're wrapped up in hatred and racism. They're wrapped up in disappointment and regret. They're wrapped up in their issues. And we will spend Sunday after Sunday in small group after small group just unwrapping people. And if you're looking to help Help us, here's all we need. Can you do something and can you stand the smell of death? Because that's what church is for. Going, they smell like regret. This would be easier at another church. This is not the kind of church we have. We have a church that smells like death and we are so excited about it. Come on back, worship team. Communion is mundane, isn't it? Today, very quickly, we're going to take Communion. Some of you grew up in a church where you took communion or Eucharist or you, you took the emblems every Sunday, and that's awesome. But sometimes it can become so mundane, we just take it the same way, in the same manner also. We took the bread, took the, took the wine, took the juice. And it, but you know what Jesus was saying when he instituted communion? He's like, it's mundane to do it. Do it often. Do it. But if you do the mundane, I'll reveal to you to the divine. And the divine is, this is life to you that I came to forgive you. You can't fix yourself. You can't save yourself. I will do the divine if you commit to the mundane. Ushers, come forward even now. We're going to start handing out communion all over this place. Can we stand to our feet? We're going to hand out communion. If you can just hold the cups, you can start handing them out now, Katie and team. Don't take them. We'll take it all together. We're going to sing a song and then we're going to take the emblems but it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Jesus talking about communion which is mundane how many communion services have I been a part of on the night he was betrayed said the Lord took some bread and gave thanks for it and he broke it into pieces and said this is my body which is given for you do this to remember me here's the miracle Jesus was beaten so you don't have to be Jesus suffered so you don't have to suffer it's communion. Some of you have done it a hundred times. It's mundane, but there's a miracle in the mundane. Then he says the same way he took the cup of wine. He says this is the cup of a new covenant. The old covenant said you had to earn it. You had to give enough, be enough, sing enough, be smart enough, go to church enough. It was just, you got to live. That's the old way. The new covenant means it's not about what you do, it's who you are. He calls you son and daughter. There's value. There's a miracle in this new covenant in the mundane of repetition. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Today, for the next few minutes, in a moment, we'll take this apart and we'll eat it and drink it and we'll celebrate. But as we sing this song, can we just take a moment today? And here's the challenge. This is your call. As we dim these lights and get ready to sing this song, where in the life do you need to commit to the mundane so God can do the miraculous? Where is the ordinary you've walked away from looking for something of prominence when God's asking you to be ordinary so he can be extraordinary? Maybe it's his church. Maybe it's in your giving. Maybe it's building a church for your grandkids financially. 
I am proud to say we honor God with our money. We spend it well as a church. It's a great place to invent, uh, to invest. But in mundane giving, maybe it's helping our team, but maybe it's, it's outside of these walls. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's showing up for supper. Maybe it's tucking your kids in. Maybe it's showing up on time and not complaining about your boss. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's telling your wife or husband you love them even though you don't feel it right now. But if you commit to the mundane, the ordinary, God will do the extraordinary and the divine. Where in your life do you need to embrace the mundane so that God can do the divine? If we roll the stone, he'll raise the dead. I'm not calling Lazarus today, but I'm calling marriages to come back to life in this room. I'm calling faith to come back. Some of you are battling doubt and skepticism. I call faith back to life in this room. Some of you have become greedy. I call generosity to life in this room. Some of you have become angry and offended. I call forgiveness to life in this room. I speak life in this room. Why? Because we've rolled the stone. He'll raise the dead. Let's sing this song before we take together. And let's ask God, where can we commit to the mundane?